Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue, your one-stop shop for peace and love on the airwaves, a safe space for people of color and our allies. Join us every week as we have real dialogue with people going through real life. Your dynamic, your dialogue. Come get some. Dynamics of Dialogue. This is your host, Ty Davis, and I'm here in the studio today with my guest host, Ella Shea Farmer. Say hello to the people. Hello to the people. (laughs) And I also have a new guest host in the studio today. His name is Ono, say the last name again for me. Iwarie. Iwarie. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I didn't want to say that wrong. Um, To me, the names are so important. My first name is Thais, and I hate for people to mess that up. So I try to do the best I can in saying it properly, in saying names properly. So today's topic is who's black? We're having the discussion about who is black. Um, We all consider ourselves African-American, is that correct? Correct. To a degree, right? Yes. The short version. The short version. Right. That's what I check on my boxes. That's what you check on your boxes, right? Because that's the simplest thing to check. Because I really don't think that there is enough uh, variation to even begin to describe us. I think that, you know, we all know that the most of the black folks that are here in the United States are African-American. We came here as enslaved Africans. Uh, but then that's not always the case for everybody. And then we also have the tendency to think that when we come here, we're coming from one spot. Um, I don't think we really have an understanding of what blackness is. There's a lot of dispute about what's really black, even in the entire diaspora. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to just take a moment and kind of just um, talk to everybody about our personal experience because we all have an interesting background. So, oh no, I'd like to start with you. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, your cultural background and how it has affected you as a person, particularly your perspective? All right. So, my family is very. I don't want to say mixed, kind of like that term, but it's very unique. Um, so my mother is African-American. Uh, her family was from Sumter, South Carolina. Oh, really? Did you tell me that? I, I might have. My family is from Sumter, South Carolina. You know, we're probably cousins. I'm saying because we've been there since we got off the slave ship. Yeah. Show. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's very possible. Yes. My um, um, Palmer's. Uh, my, my, uh, my mother was a Palmer. Hmm. You know, Palmer's Funeral Home. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna have, we're gonna, I'm gonna get my book out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because all the Sumters, that kind of place where you mess around and marry your cousin. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, my uh, my mother's from Sumter, South Carolina, um, and my father is actually Nigerian. Um, specifically, he's Urobu, which is um, the ethnic group from um, Delta State region of Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the smaller ethnic groups. Um, you know, most people think there's like three ethnic groups in Nigeria. There's actually 102, mm. each one with their own language, their own history, their own culture. So even even though we will say Nigerian, there's still a lot of diversity even in that. Um, so my father's Nigerian. My mother is African-American. And my parents early on divorced and remarried, and they both remarried within their own culture. So I have a 
entirely African-American family with my mother and my stepfather. And then on my father's side, I have a, a Nigerian family with my, uh, with my father and my stepmother. Wow. So it's kind of, you know, I've kind of, in a way, straddled both sides because I'm privy to what each side thinks and says about the other side. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like the middle guy. And when you say what each side thinks and says about the other side, that does that include um, ideas about ethnicity, about you know what it should look like, or well, really more so misconceptions about the other group. Like mm-hmm. so, what I find is when I speak to um, even now, when I speak to a lot of Africans, they'll say, "Oh, African Americans don't like us." And then when I speak to African-Americans, they'll say, you know, a lot of Africans don't like us. And I'm like, mm, no, you're both wrong. I'm like, and, and we have more in common than we have not in common culturally. Um, it's, and in fact, I, I tell people, um, I was just speaking to a group. I just said this the other day, and I can't remember who I, who I was talking to. But um, I, was, I was told someone the other day that um, culturally speaking, when you strip away the history part, when you look at family values, the way we conceptualize family, the way we look, the way we respond to things, I find African-Americans have more in common with Africans from the continent than we have with white Americans, in my, in my opinion. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. As a, as a, I mean, I was born in California and, and raised in, in the North. I was never raised in the South. Um, but um, very much of our culture in our diet, rice on both sides of my family. So for me, my my father is 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 Jamaican um, American, and my mother is African American. Um, so there's this mixture of the culture. So particularly with my you know, as a child, I spent time being raised by my West Indian side of the family, and I still say that West Indian because I'm you know the outdated term I'm aware so. Caribbean now but um, in that side of the family rice is a staple it's like a meal on its own rice and peas you know Jamaicans are very rice and peas is is very much a staple I could eat that as a meal just with gravy (laughs) you know um, and then also but in the southern part of our family um, you'll find that is also a staple right because lots of us were brought here for our growing skills particularly from West Africa, like Sierra Leoneans. I believe that's one of the skills they were brought here for, their rice-growing skills, mm-hmm. you know, certain areas they were uh, chosen to bring. So, yeah, there are lots of different attitudes It's in our diet. Um, the funniest thing for me to realize was time. Yeah. Time, yeah. That yeah we that's have a big time. one. Yeah, there, I think there, there are things that are instinctual, the way we move. Um, our concept of time is, is very relative. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I mean to cut you off. Um, the there. Um, well, I used to work in. Um, I used to work at Emory University, and um, they have a large um, international population. And there's this whole running joke about well, they talk about this party where who's the first people to get the party, who's the last people, and you know, so they're like, yeah, you know, the Germans will get there X amount of time before the party starts, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Then like they go through each group, and they're like, in the very last one are the Nigerians. They'll come an hour and a half late, and but it's the thing that that joke always resonated with me because it's because um, in addition to my father being um, a Nigerian, my ex-wife was Jamaican, so I spent a lot of time with um with uh, with um with Jamaican family as well 
And every single group that I spent time with has this joke that, you know, Nigerian time, CP time for us, uh, you know, then Jamaican time. And like every single one of the black groups have this time joke. Right. Yeah. Matter of fact, even some Asian groups, because uh, my, my friend is, I have a friend who's, Leo, Leo, um, I can never pronounce right. She's from Laos. So, Luasian? Is that correct? I'm I don't know. not sure. Yeah. But same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing, right. Yeah. So now, and this, so let's make it even more interesting. Because this is why I chose Latrice. I'm sorry, Lachey last, because your background is even a little bit more interesting, a little bit more diverse, right? Okay. So, I was. I identify as black, African-American. All my life, that's what I checked on my boxes. Mm-hmm. So, um, recently I found out that I actually have Choctaw lineage. Mm-hmm. Found out last year. So, I never even realized that I had native backgrounds. People are like, well, you look like you're Indian. No, I'm not. I'm, I would literally get upset. I'm like, why are people saying that? I'm black. Like, what are you talking about? I don't have any... any so, up, literally, up until probably... 340 days ago. Oh, wow. I didn't know. So now that I'm looking at that, uh, my ancestry does not just go back to slavery. I have that side. Mm-hmm. You know, but part of my, my ancestors were here. Yeah. They were already here. They were some of the people of color who um, were already on the land. You know, yes. We do hear a lot that our story starts with slavery. That's not true. That's right. absolutely there not true. There were people here when Columbus pulled up on the boats. And we lose a lot of that history. And, I'm, and I'll be honest, I haven't looked into it yet. And it, but it's, it's so overwhelming for me. I'm like, wait a minute, where do I start? Well, you know, again, there's lots of, of diverse opinions about ancestry. Um, I did my ancestry, I, like I want to say, I don't know, 12 years ago, something. It was a long time ago. Um, because I just had this burning desire to know. I have always wanted to know. Of course, I know that I come from Africa, right? But that was not good enough. Uh, it just wasn't. I mean, because it, I, I don't really understand what the genesis of that is, but knowing who I am, like I do know that um, the Ghanaian side part of me is Yoruba. I know that my, sorry, Yoruba, my uh, DNA matches like largely with the Yoruba people. So um, it means something to me because it tells me something about my culture. It tells me something a little bit more about my background. But then when I did my, my ancestry, I realized, wow, um, black is really a lot more than we think it is. So just to to add a little context to the conversation, first and foremost, um, and I said I was going to look this up and I neglected to do so because I cannot remember the name of, of the, uh, the person that discovered that decided to do this. But you know, first of all, there's one race, right? Right. There's the human race. We're, we're all homo sapiens. So we're the idea of black and white and Asian as race is really a construct Mm -hmm. that was devised, um, as a part of white supremacy, right. To classify people into a system. But so it's, it's really a social term. It's not a real scientific term of blackness as a race. Um, so that, when we hear Kendrick Lamar say, don't call me black no more, I'm with it because it's okay, right? Because ultimately there is no black line. We have a motherland, we come from Africa, but there's no black land, right? Um, but what, we, what are we? So when I look at my DNA, my DNA says that I'm 86.2% sub-Saharan African. And out of that breakdown, right, that leaves 11.5% European. Um, 
which I, I'll own it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take that part. But um, um, because I, it, it, it is a little bit sobering to look at because it makes you wonder where does your European lineage, you know, how your, your European lineage came into your family. That to me matters because for me, I get ancestors, I get relatives like white people contacting me on ancestry uh, on, on 23andMe and I don't really know how to respond because I don't know if these are people that owned my family. Okay. So I, I don't wow. know how to, I'm, I haven't really reconciled with how to respond to that yet. Um, mm. I'm working on it. But when I look at my DNA, 32% Nigerian, 19.9% of Ghanaian, Liberian, Sierra Leonean, 10% Congolese, Senegambian, Ghanaian, uh, African hunter-gatherer. Now, I'm understanding that's like uh, Southern African, like um, even in here, it kind of describes that there's some possibility that one of the tribes I'm from is pygmy. Um, and, and I, because I'm so short, I always smirk about that. But there's so much in our, our ancestry that, first of all, as African-Americans, we have to consider, are we really just from one, co- one country in Africa, right? If we've come here and, and we came from a group of countries. So if right. we've come here and we've intermarried and mixed and, you know, think about that. Have, you, has, have any of you ever even give consideration to what your full spectrum of your background look like because for you it's native american but i'm betting there's a lot more than native american in there yeah and i'm not i'm looking at like what i thought my identity was my entire life mm-hmm. and now this there's a scientific way to see so i'm gonna check it out mm-hmm. but still it's is there really a way to even when you you know to figure out everything and we mm-hmm. have so many different classifications over time different groups over time um it could be different names for the same people. Mm-hmm. So how do we know that we have all these different lineages? Well, I mean, again, so if we think about, like, if I look, which I'll post um, in the Hangout. So if we look at our DNA, right, there's a couple of things that contribute to it. So first, of course, is the intermarrying that we would come, right? Because, I mean, I would imagine what's the likelihood of, you know, my family. I know that I have strongest strains in Ghana and Nigeria. Right. So what's the likelihood of everybody coming here, marrying another Ghanaian, you know, and another Nigerian, as opposed to we're all kind of in here together. And then the other thing is when we think about migration patterns, because if I look at my DNA, going back six to eight generations, I have Indonesia, Myanmar, and that's as far as where my Southern African comes from, the Senegambian comes from. So it, it and then you see it going from Senegambian to Native American and Spanish and Portuguese right. and the generations after that. So that kind of tells you that there's moving around. And when people move around, what do they do? It's intercultural. That's where we talked about the value of marriage, right? When people married cultures, that was, we're looking at it right now in China and Africa, right? Yeah. 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 So how would you say that your understanding of your your cultural background has affected the way that you interact in in this American society? Well, I know for me, it's, um, and, and for me, it's a little different because on my dad's side, it's, you know, how you track generations. I'm literally one generation away from Nigeria. It's, um, you know, my, the village that my dad grew up in, his family's been there since like forever, literally forever. Like that's their ancestral land so from my father's side i know exactly 
where. So 50% of me, I know exactly where that comes from. And there may be some minor intermarriaging here and there over the generations, but for the most part, that's, that's that they are from the Delta State region of Nigeria. So I can, so half my family I can pinpoint specifically. My mother's side is more complex because like you said, what most African Americans are kind of amalgamations of, of West Africa primarily. You know, so you're talking about your Nigeria, you're talking about your Ghana, you're talking, you know, it's primarily from like like 80 percent of our ancestors came from that West African region. Um, you know, so, you know, I know that on my mother's side, the African traced back to West African, but my maternal grandmother was biracial. And she, is, you know, so her father um, was Caucasian, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't, you know, that, no trigger warnings, you know, it wasn't by choice. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have no interest in the white side of my family just because it's not, these, these aren't, you know, it, it's not, um, and like, like most of us, you know, it's the, the white part is really about oppression and it's really about, you know, it, it's not happy family. Like, these aren't, people that I would look up and want to go to our ancestral home to reconnect with, you know, I'm not going to go to Scotland or England looking for, you know, where this part of my family came from. I don't, I don't associate that part of the family. So it's like, so it, for me, my, I've always concentrated the way I, the way I conceptualize black period though, is I feel connected to all black peoples all across the globe. So I don't even, even though I'm so strongly Nigerian, it's really, you know, we're all black. We all have common trends, and that's who I associate with, like the African diaspora, not necessarily a particular continent. I mean, a particular nation or a particular ethnicity or whatever. Mm-hmm. I basically look at us as we are the African peoples, and like we are connected, and that's how I kind of conceptualize it for me. Do you see the, the diaspora in a similar way, Lachey? I do, and I do think it's interesting that you both mentioned. Um, that you didn't really have a desire to connect with the white side of the family because there may be trauma behind it. And that's a narrative that we know. We know mm-hmm. in the, in, in, there's a discussion that that might not be true, but the, the likelihood that it is is pretty high. Right. Um, and that does block a lot of that identity mm-hmm. research. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, how do you connect with someone that there's, when there's trauma behind this connection? How do you um, look past that and The place where I stopped, I, on, um, well, on my dad's side, my uncle uh, did the research, and he found that these were blocks for me. Um, He found that um, the first uh, enslaved African that came here, her name was Darkie. So understanding that's what she was given, Darkie. And she named her son Boasol. And that happens to be the name of a town in Ghana. So that kind of makes me believe that she named him that for 
where she was from. Where she was from, um, because they did lots of meaningful things like that. Um, I think that's kind of what I'm coming to understand about our origin is that we're typically a people of meaning. We just don't do a lot of things that don't mean anything. Um, and so that, but that was a block for me a little bit because how do I go back and figure out who she is? And the only name I have is Darkie, you know, and on my on mom's side, I've gone back as far as uh, 18, probably I think 1863. Um, and now I'm at the place where I have to actually go to the Sumter Genealogical Society um, and even possibly look through cattle records. And mm. in my heart and soul, that's my mm. block, is going to look through animal records to find my family. That, that it, it, it may feel for a lot of people, you know, when, 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 when I see, hear the microaggressions, well, slavery was 400 years ago. I, I, I'm like, it's so... Well, if you remove yourself from the process, yes, it was that long ago. But if literally you're trying to track your roots and you end up in a pile of paperwork for cattle, yeah, how are you supposed yeah. to feel receiving that information? Right. But the other thing, too, is when people say that, that's when it started. That's not when it ended. No, it's it, still, it, it hasn't ended. Right. But, <laughs> e- but even, even officially sanctioned, approved government, we're okay with this process? We're talking like my great grandmother. We're not talking. We're not talking. You know, we're not talking eons ago. Like I was talking to somebody about reparations the other day. Um, like if you if you count Jim Crow, we're talking about when we were born. Like we're not talking about hundreds of years ago. So yeah, so it's like people try to minimize it by like, oh, it was X long ago. Nah, it, it was it was. It, it's, that's how long it started. So that, if anything, that's that's how long this has been going on. It's been going on, right? And but just, and when I and when the first time I heard, you know, I really understood because it's not like we've never read the Thirteenth Amendment before, right? You learn about it in school, but you right. don't. It, you learn it and you hear slavery is abolished, but you don't ever really process that part that says except under conviction of a crime, right? Which means that it cannot be abolished if there is an exception. It still exists. It's mm-hmm. just that was the genesis of the chain work game. Yeah. So when we talk about these things, so we know I think we're all very deeply connected to to what this journey was like, um, at least for us from one perspective. I think another part that's missing in the conversation about blackness is who is black within our own community. We have some angst and confusion about who is black. Lots of African-Americans don't think that that lots of Latinos are black. Whereas in reality, more than 60% of the enslaved Africans that were brought to the Americas were dropped off in South America. Mm-hmm. It's where their brown comes from, right? I, yeah. Funny that you said that. Do you remember um, Axe had a co- act commercial with the chocolate man? Oh, the, um, it was like on the horse. I think the, with the deep voice and the horse well, uh, was, no, no, oh, no, that's Old Spice. Oh. <laughs> I'm thinking about Old but Spice. No, there was yeah. a, a guy, um, it was a white guy wakes up in the morning, he puts his axe on, and he turns into literally a chocolate man. Oh. Like, literally, his face was, like, his eyes were kind of like... Wait, the, what? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Oh, I gotta post the link in the hangout. Uh, yeah, what? So he literally acts. Did this course, he turns what? into a piece of chocolate, a walking piece of chocolate. And he's just walking down the street, and women are, like, fawning over him, biting him, like, all kinds of things. But what struck me was his facial features. It wasn't, like, a sexy Ken doll chocolate man. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a minstrel face. 
Yeah, like big, big eyes. And the big old white eyes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It was a different look. So I had to look at that a couple times. I'm like, should I be offended by this? And I'm processing it. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm tripping. But I talked to other people who identify as black. And they were like, no, that was offensive. Mm-hmm. I, that they must have pulled that out quick. They must have pulled that off quick. I have not even seen it. So I know they pulled it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so I have to post it. I have to dig it up and post it. And you know what's so crazy about that? So on the one hand, you're the offensive minstrel. But on the other hand, it, it plays into so many stereotypes, too, because, oh, he's hypersexualized now because, oh, all the women just want him. Because but he's dark. Because he's dark. So now, but then on top of that, what do they do when they see him? They consume, consume him. They're consuming him. You take him and eat him up and consume him. I, I'm like, this is that. That is such a, like, did, okay, yeah, I got to find that commercial. In college, we did, um, one of the organizations I'm in, did a panel on, you know, identity. And right. one of the things was, okay, listen, we, we, we played this commercial during the panel, and we had a discussion about it, open discussion, and I'm in a multicultural college, so everybody's there. And there was a person who identified as Puerto Rican that stood and was like, you all shouldn't be offended because um, black people are not the only people that identify as chocolate. Puerto Ricans do, too. And he's laughing. And you know, what? sitting there like, ma'am, ma'am, did, are you really, do you... Catalina, you like to be? It's it's whole area. You go to Puerto Rico. It's whole areas of people walking around look like just just like us. Yeah. But she was really like, black people need to stop being offended because we're chocolate too, and we're like, man, we know. Well, it's like it's like, do you know? <laughs> that was you know instead of us you know getting upset, it was a right. learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, well, let's talk about why Puerto Ricans like right. buy chocolate. Mm-hmm. Let's have yeah. that conversation yeah. here in the panel. So it's interesting to see how people dissociate from the black. Well, it, but it's the same thing, though, there, because it's very much so in South America are Brazilians, the darker-skinned South Americans. I have two uncles from Guyana. The darker-skinned South Americans are are still looked at. Yeah, yep. they're marginalized. Um, and they're going through catching hell in, 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 in areas from it, even in Dominican Republic. Um, so it, it's, it's the same. It's really, I think that we look at the idiosyncrasies um, between one another in a particular way as though we're the only, that group is the only one that has it. But I think in each of our groups, we have colorism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We have a form of self-hate because we were all colonized. That's the one thing. There is no such thing as my mind is purer than yours because even if you're continental, the continent was colonized. Right. And so, were we, you know, we were enslaved and so, you know, and so on and so forth. So that there's a common thread um, amongst us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I hate to see us separate. Yeah, sort of a, a exactly. The core connection, like we're connected. Right. But there's a reason why the whole separate, like the separation is intentional. Absolutely. You know, like even even if you look the like among um, among Caribbeans, right? You have a lot of people who have issues with like they don't like Haiti. They don't like Haiti. That's because you're the colonizer put that into your head going back generations because they were upset with Haiti because they were the only country that liberated themselves from European colonization. And they're still, and they're still mad about it. Pay, yeah. And they're still paying for it. Yeah, and they still suffer. And they, they still, still suffer, suffer because They're of still it. paying for it. It right. took them hundreds. To pay off that debt, the debt that Haiti Which they shouldn't pay, have to pay. They shouldn't have had to pay, but they basically had to pay for their freedom. It took over 100 years for them to do right. this. No wonder why Haiti is a poor country. I have so much love for... Oh, I, I am of Jamaican heritage, but I have so much love for Haiti. So I learned about that. I was Africana, Africana Studies was one of my majors in college. And just from being you know, in that program and understanding 
what colonization really did to the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Haiti real quick. Because on mm-hmm. the other side of the island is another culture. Dominican, oh, yes. does not identify. We're not black. black. We're not no, black. They're on the other side of the island, and they look yeah. like us. Yeah. They, listen, when I went to DR, there was, a, there was remember um, some years ago, there was the... Uh, the, you know, they were talking about black people being found, black Dominicans being murdered and this, that, and the third. That's when I went <laughs> on a cruise. And when we went, you know, they're, they've got the military out there. They've got escorts. They're literally escorting the tour, tour bus throughout the entire city, shutting everything down, stopping everybody from moving while we're out there I, because this is so much of a threat. And it's the same thing, but it's all over, right? But it's, you see that in Haiti and Dominican mm-hmm. Republic. And then we can go back and dial back to, let's look at something like Rwanda, right? Where even within everybody's black, but you've had a case where you had a group of people that were colonized. One group was made better than the other. And then when the Dutch left, they left one group in charge over the other. Mm-hmm. And it's still, it's these mindsets, these things that get perpetuated within us. And I think lots of us just don't realize it is by design, and it, it's a, it's the way that black civilization has been destroyed by pitting us against each other in our own minds. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things that you all believe are aspects of black culture? Because we always trade people in and out the delegation, you know, based and, on and that. we can't see. Yeah, I we think we trade people in yeah. and out culture. We we do, but see, I mean, but, like there's a spokesperson in charge of the delegation right. who tells us. You are black. You are appointed. A lot of African Americans, like for me, when uh, when other African Americans realize I eat goat, they're like, "Ooh, you're not black. I eat goat. That's black as a get." Do Africans eat goat? Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> like, <laughs> man, we all eat goat. We, that's that's yeah. that's a and it's a better for you than being. Well, see, I, I think part of the problem is people confuse black with African American. So African American yes. is. So black is the larger umbrella that covers everybody who's from the African diaspora. But so a lot of times people think black and African-American is the exact same thing. So they'll say so even when you talk to like people from, you know, people from uh, the Caribbean or people from Africa, people from the continent, when you talk to um, Afro-Latinos, they're like, I'm not black. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm not black. I'm Jamaican. I'm not like you're talking about your nationality. You're talking about your ethnicity, but your race, you're still black. Your ancestors trace back to Africa. You're black. Mm-hmm. So it's um, a lot of times people, they get the words confused. So when they say, oh, you ain't black, what they really are trying to say is African-Americans don't eat that. But that's okay. Broaden your horizons. You can try new things. Right. Try you new know? things. Is, there, is that really going to exclude me because I don't eat goats? Right. I'm excluded from the delegation. Yeah, you right. Go. You're not black enough <laughs> or, because right. you don't. Or because you don't eat fufu. Or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, a light skinned Or woman. you can't I, dance. Always, or you can't, you know. I've always been yeah. told that I'm black, black enough. Right. I've always had to compete for blackness. Because right. I thought, you know, a certain kind of way because I was light skinned. So I don't understand a lot of things that real black people yeah. have to do. But, and if you look, most of the things that compete for blackness. It's usually the negative stereotypes. So, like, whenever people, like, even when I was in school, people were like, "Oh, you speak proper English. You, you know, this, that, and the third. Did it? That's not black." And I'm like, at first, I would correct them. I'm like, "Okay, let's talk about Malcolm X. Let's talk about Martin Luther King. Let's talk about Huey P. Newton. Let's talk about all these people that you idolize spoke proper English. This is the language we speak. You know, if you want to speak another language, if you want to start, you want to learn Swahili, you want to go there, let's go there. But right now, if you speak English, why wouldn't you speak in a way so people understand you? One. But two, why is it that we always 
our black authenticity is always related to a negative image. So, you know, if you, oh, you, you go to school, you do this, or you do all that, you, you act like you're white. Did, did, did. We yeah. Right, we own it. Yeah, we own it and ingrain it. And the things that may be positive, right. like education, right. are not associated with black culture for some reason, even it, though a lot of black people are, are educated. educated. Yeah, it, but it's because we, we internalize the negative we internalize the negative imagery. So it, it's funny. So I had this professor, and I'm not going to say his name because he's kind of a big deal now. But back then, he wasn't. Uh, but he, he's one of those CNN talking head type professors. Like, he, you know, writes books, everything else. But he used to always do this thing. He used to drive me crazy in class where he would say, well, yeah, I'm educated. I have a PhD, but I'm from such and such a neighborhood. Like, basically, he had to prove his black authenticity by saying what bad neighborhood he grew up from or what project. So, like, you'll talk to people who are successful. Oh, yeah, I made it. But, you know, I'm from, I'm from such and such a street or I'm from such and such a project. I'm from such and such. Well, I grew up in the hood. So why does that make you more black than anybody else? So you're saying that because you grew up impoverished, you are more authentic, authentic in your black identity than somebody who was born in the suburbs? Okay, you what are you say saying? that now. And hey, it's true. What concerns me the most about that narrative we believe that about ourselves. Right. We do. So we do. When we see the stories come in on the news, we believe that that black man did. We it's, believe that. Right. It's the reason why we believe Jay Z is in the Illuminati because we can't believe <laughs> that a black man would be that black. intelligent to come from being a drug dealer to being this mogul, this right. brilliant genius but mogul that he is today. We get offended when other cultures believe the narrative we believe about ourselves. Right. Yes. We yeah. Little yes. white guys say it, and there's a problem. Right. But we'll we, say it all the time, though. Right. It makes no. It it's makes dysfunctional. No sense. Fried chicken and watermelon. Right. Yeah. I love fried chicken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But I'm if good. someone else tells me that I like fried chicken and watermelon, am I supposed to feel offended? Yeah. Another culture says, "How's your fried chicken?" Is that offensive? <laughs> And you know, and the other thing too. Nah, I ain't gonna lie. Every Wednesday, <laughs> I work in it. But this is also the South. Right. Everybody likes. Everybody likes. Um, right. People, listen. I'm telling you. I told you about the rib joint uh, down the street. I go there every time. It's so full. It's black on rib joint. Really good. There's white people all in and through there. Mm-hmm. We, it, it, because this is Southern culture. Right. So fried chicken, watermelon, and all of that is really yeah. not considered a black thing here. When I moved here. I, w- I was upset because, like, for the first year or so, I could not find a soul food restaurant. And I would always say, where's the soul food restaurant? Where's the soul food restaurant? Then finally it hit me after being here for a while. Oh, down here it's not called soul food. Because up in, up in where I'm from, the only people who made that food were black folk, right? But down here is this food. You know? <laughs> like, like a, that's like going to, going to China. Like, where's the Chinese food? I can't find Chinese food. Where's the Chinese restaurant? It's like, you mean food? Right. <laughs> you, know? you can go to Thumbs Up. You can go to a diner down here exactly. and you're getting soul food. Exactly. Uh-huh. Whereas up north, not so much. So it, it took me a long time to make that transition. Like, oh, that is just food down here. Wow. Right. Yeah. It's so amazing. So let me just ask you, because I, I want to get from you guys both, what is the, the thing that you enjoy most about your blackness? I like the sense of community that comes with it. Mm-hmm. I do. And there's a certain level of support in the community. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I hate to hear people say black people tear each other down, black people don't support each other. This is not true. Right. There's a, a solid network of people who identify as black that are not just anyone from any one country mm-hmm. that are pooling resources and making things happen. There mm-hmm. are allies that, you know, we, that we have traded in and out the culture 
that are supporting as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I do appreciate the sense of community mm -hmm. that comes with um, identifying as black. Mm -hmm. For me, it's the way that, so if you look at all of the cultures that come from Africa, mm -hmm. if you look at how we conceptualize family, like we have an extended sense of family. We don't operate from the nuclear family perspective to the point where like even when you're working with kids, you say, well, who's in your family? They start naming their aunts and their cousins and this and that. Whereas when you talk to a lot of Caucasians, they're like, mom, dad, my brother, and that's it, you know? So the, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so basically the, you know, we have an extended sense. And then we also, you know, we have a, a commitment to our family. Whereas a lot of times for other cultures, if you're outside a nuclear family and you go through hardship, well, oh, cousin so-and-so went through, oh, such and such happened, but that's it. Whereas us, we will actually take our cousins in. We'll take our, you know, it's not, unusual to for us to raise like you know it's called a kin, a fictive kin or kinship adoption mm -hmm. but it's not unusual for us to raise and then we'll take in children who aren't even really related to yes. us it's um you know it, it it's when you look at our families you, you know like this is my sister this is my sister this is my sister. but you find out okay this one's actually adopted this one was mom's best friend who came to live with us this one was yes. really is really a cousin yeah. but we pull together as a family unit to and really as a community unit to embrace and that is pure african it that is, is yeah. because the, the European norm and you know and this is not me being racist this is just if you look at the literature there, it's individual focus there's a reason why capitalism comes out of europe mm -hmm. you know comes out of european thought because it's the individual first the individual the, the good of the individual is the primary whereas for for african cultures the good of the community comes first the good of the individual comes second so and that's why you know that's why we you know you know, white, you know, Europeans are the ones that have capitalism. We're the ones that have the communal thinking. We're the ones who, you know, are going to pull our resources. We're worried about what everybody else, how everybody else is doing. You're not going to see that in mainstream white America. Mm. And it's so true. Yeah. It's so I want to agree with that. I, know, mm -hmm. I didn't notice it until I got down here. Up, up, mm -hmm. up north, it's, um, you know, don't bring your kids to the salon. Whereas out here, it's where's your baby? Right. It's a totally different approach. Like, I, if I don't have my baby, they're looking for it. Because their kids are there at the salon because they're family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they're either learning how to run the business or they're in some type of they're doing some type of training or education or you know, right. whatever it is. The kids are there. The mothers are not worried about childcare. Mm -hmm. The child's coming. Mm -hmm. Whereas childcare is an issue in a lot of yeah. Western situations. We are really concerned about that. We don't have that sense of community. We don't, mm -hmm. and we've lost it. Mm -hmm. I, and I think part of the thing that for African Americans, it's difficult for other cultures to understand is uh, for other parts of the African diaspora to understand is that our present day trauma is still present day. I think that the killings, mm -hmm. the murders of these unarmed black citizens is really brought to light for the rest of the diaspora what our experience actually still is right here. So it's, it's not just, it's that we're living in a place where we are the minority um, and, and then these things are happening. So it does kind of create a powerlessness and, and, it, and it does create that sense of need for community, which is one of the reasons why I created the official DMD Hangout, because I really desire to create that place of connection for all of us um, so that we can understand and stop marginalizing it, trying to define each other's blackness, because my blackness looks, it looks very different. It's, it's 
got all kinds of flavor in it. My in my family alone, I've got so much mixture of, of Latino and Arab and black and Jamaican and African. There's a mixture of everything, you know, but the one thing that I can say I enjoy about being black is the knowing. We have a, a connection, a knowing with each other. You know how you can be somewhere and you see something go down and you look at another black person and y'all <laughs> yeah. already know what's going on. Yeah, you like, know what it is. You know that look. Yeah. Right. We have that knowing and that it's without words, that just innate understanding that really makes me feel like, you know, it's home, mm. you know, and it may be a little bit different in uh, different cultures, right, and different, it looks differently, but I, I, I appreciate it, and I think that I want to connect, create this connection so that we can kind of bridge these gaps. I think if we can find more sense of community, if within our individual communities, within what we call blackness, if we spent time together breaking bread, you know, I think we'd really discover how much we have in common. Right. I just told the other day, I, oh no, I had some uh, jollof rice and man, I thought I was going to lift off. <laughs> I thought I was going to absolutely lift off. So I hope in this show that we've kind of covered uh, what we think blackness is and, and the different nuances of blackness. Um, before we go, I just want to find out if anybody has any parting thoughts. Well, go, please go first. Okay, yeah. um, I appreciate the depth of the conversation. Um, it concerns me when we try to categorize black mm -hmm. without having a an encompassing understanding of identity. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and cultural identity. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of roots and it is deep. So it's good to have these conversations and we probably need to have a caucus with a couple experts to put some things on the table. Mm -hmm. Because we're literally defending and identifying with a title a lot of us don't know what it means. They don't feel right. that connection. They just know someone told them they're black. Right. Or they've been traded. Right. So, like Gary Owens, mm -hmm. he knows not to use the N-word, mm -hmm. but he knows that he's back in the delegation. <laughs> so, these are, it's always interesting, you know, to see the different levels of acceptance into right. black. You know? Right. Right. But um, I do think that that sense of community comes with that identity. Mm -hmm. So, I would like to continue more of these conversations. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. And I, I really, my takeaway really is, I, th I think it's really important for us not to try to pigeonhole or limit what black is. Because it's, um, you know, it, it's, you know, black could be the, the stereotypical, you know, you know, guy from this neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. Or it could be that skateboard, that skateboarding nerd who is a comic guy. You know, like it's, it's a full gambit. And I think when we try to limit ourselves, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, cr we're crushing part of our own expressiveness. Yes. So I'm glad to see that, you know, as a people, we're moving away from that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, real talk, yes. how you gonna pull my black card for not watching Juice all the way through? Well, but you've never seen Color Purple. Right. Or, or <laughs> aside from that, why does blackness always have to be things that are just related to that black? I mean, we talk about, and I know we're running out of time, but you know, let's just look at Black Panther, for example, Wakanda. <laughs> Wakanda, everybody's having these Wakanda-themed parties, but they're forgetting what made Wakanda part of what it is was that it was the most technologically advanced society on earth. These people were brilliant. And then what kept that community together was a code. They had a code of understanding. They operated with community. It wasn't just a bunch of black folk. You can't just throw together the black folk and say, hey, this is Wakanda. You know, there were things that created that. And in that was, was brilliance and community. 
you know. So I think that we should explore that blackness. Where are we? Because I because I wanted to tag on that. Do we still have time? Or we we got wrap. You got we got one minute. What you got? Okay. So and, and the other thing that I think is important too, because you, when you use Conda, you just you, you hit mm-hmm. uh, you hit something for me. Uh, one of the things I always stress, um, particularly to my students, uh, I don't know if I said this before, I work at uh, Morehouse College, and um, one of the things I always, because a lot of my students for a while, they're walking up, they're like, oh, Wakanda forever, Wakanda forever, and I would stop them. I'm like, no, Africa forever, because Wakanda is fiction. Uh, Wakanda is invented by Stan Lee, a white guy, you know, but everything in what we see in Wakanda is taken from real African cultures. Everything, the languages were used, the, the, you know, the, each language, that person has a language code from a different area. So it's, you know, it's, we're, we're black, we're African, we gotta, we gotta unite and remember that. Yes. And that's the most important message of this podcast. We are black, we have to unite, we have to be together. I think we need to come back and do a part two. Um, So we're going to go ahead and get that scheduled. And in the meantime, I'm just going to remind everybody to be intentional with your plans and manifest your best. See you next week, everybody. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in every Sunday at 3 p.m. at officialdfd.com. Follow us on social media at officialdfd. Your dynamic, your dialogue. Come get some.